All right. I hope you have enjoyed our study through the book of Acts. And today we pick up in Acts chapter 13. This is a book of historical narrative. So that means we're reading about the history of the birth and the expansive growth of the church of Jesus Christ. We're reading about it in story form. So it's history and it's narrative. But this is not just a history that we look at and read and, and think, wow, that was really cool that happened. No, this is our history. It's a history that we read to inform and shape our future. And that's my prayer for today as we read this passage together. What we'll see is that our God is a sending God. God, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave, he sent Jesus. God sent Jesus. Then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit sends out missionaries. Sending is a part of the DNA of every healthy church. So at Mountain View Church, what we want to do is we want to send people out on mission. We want to send you to to go to Haiti. We want to send you to go to Lebanon. We want to send you to go partner with our mission partners in Birmingham and, and in other places. We want to send you out on mission wherever it is the Lord may lead you. Now, there's a sense in which all followers of Jesus are sent on mission. There's a sense in which all of us are that way. You're sent to your job to bear witness to Christ. You're sent, students, you're sent to your school to, um, to witness and to share about the love of Jesus, that he's your supreme treasure. You're sent, moms, dads, you're sent to home to disciple your children, to share with them the love of Christ and raise them up, as the Bible says, in the admonition of the Lord. But some of us, are sent to cross oceans and boundaries. Some of us are sent to cross cultures and languages, and some of us are called to go to the unreached people of this world with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, but there are over 3.2 billion, billion people in our world today who have never heard the name of Jesus. That's almost 40% of the world total population is what we would call unreached. Now that word unreached, just to clarify again, means there's little to no access to the gospel. Little to no access. So they would be born, would live their whole life and die potentially having never ever heard the name Jesus Christ. That breaks the heart of our God, and it ought to break ours as well. Our God deserves the worship of all peoples. That's the motivating factor behind mission is worship. He is, God has given to his church the privilege of joining him in the mission to take the gospel to the nations. So today, what I want to do is to call you to listen For the leading of the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up and expect to hear God call you into specific obedience to Jesus' commands. It's not if you're called. You know, a lot of people think, well, I'm not sure I'm called to missions. It's not if you're called, 
It's just where and to whom. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, the call to follow was a call to fish for men. So we are all called into the mission of the gospel as believers. But what we find in the scriptures is that Jesus gives the commands and the Holy Spirit guides our specific obedience. So what I'm asking you today is to open your ears, open your heart to how the Holy Spirit might specifically guide your steps to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ as he leads you on mission with him. We're in Acts chapter 13. So would you stand with me as we read? And then after this, you can be seated for uh, a little bit, okay? I know you've been up and down, up and down, all right? But we stand, uh, as a people, we stand in honor of the most important thing that will be said today. And that is the reading of God's holy word. So we sit because what I have to say is not near as important as what we're reading now. So let's read Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, he opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, The hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Father, um, We ask now that you guide us into all truth in your word. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. Open our eyes to see. Break our hearts for your glory, your worship among all peoples around the world. Loosen our grip on the things that do not matter. And send us out as your people. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to see and dig into really three, um, three big truths today from this text. So the first truth I want us to see this morning is that our God is a missionary sending God. Our God is a missionary sending God. This whole passage is really all about the sending out of missionaries. And what we see here is that God is not just trying to maintain what he's built. He's on a mission. He's building and fueling momentum for the mission. And there's a huge difference between um, momentum and building and, and movement versus maintaining. If you've ever owned a business, then you know the moment you shift from momentum to maintenance, that's the moment the business begins to plateau. It's the same with the kingdom of God. And God is radically advancing his kingdom. In the book of Acts, we see he is aggressive and he is unstoppable. Just last week, we saw kind of a, a showdown between King Agrippa versus King Jesus. And there was no competition. King Agrippa died of worms, and the Bible says the word of God increased and advanced all the more. Our God is aggressive and he's moving. He's a God on the move. And he wants his people to join him. This God is building his kingdom by advancing it beyond ethnic boundaries outside city and regional boundaries, and even above earthly kings and authorities. He is a God on the move. He always has been. From the calling of Abraham in early in Genesis, where he said, get up out of your country and go to a land that I will show you. From that moment through the Exodus event with the people of God passing through the Red Sea and following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, just trailing along with the presence of God. Our God has always been a God on the move and he has invited his people to join him as he goes. And Jesus, it is the same. He told his disciples, the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to them, I'm calling you. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's always been a call to go. God has always been calling us to go. And he's promised his power and his presence for the journey. Up to this point in the book of Acts, what we've seen is that persecution has forced the church to scatter. But now, prayer is fueling the church to send. I want you to notice something for a moment. This is the first time that the church has voluntarily sent people out. Up to this point, it's been hardship that has caused the church to sort of scatter. And as they scatter, they go preaching the word. But in this moment, the church is worshiping, the church is fasting, the church is praying, and it's in Antioch that the church is beginning to embrace God's heart for the nations. Our God, who sent 
His only son is now sending out his people to tell the world of the Savior. God wants the worship of all peoples. And he's on a global mission to build his kingdom. I love what David Platt says. Uh, He says that God's end goal for the world is that his glory would be known and enjoyed among all the nations. Think about that. If that's God's end goal, what do you think should be ours? Shouldn't we be joining God in his end goal to spread his glory over the face of the earth? Well, because God is worthy of the worship of all nations, they must hear. They must hear and believe the gospel to give him the worship that he deserves. So here's truth number two, and I want us to park here for a minute. Truth number two is Mountain View Church desires to be a sending church. We want to be a sending church. So Tucker talked a minute ago about covenant membership, and um, that's wonderful. We want to welcome in new members. We, we, want, we want people to, to align uh, with, with our doctrine, we want people to come in and say, I believe in this Jesus. I believe in his word. And I'm, I want to join in with this church on Christ's mission for the world. That's beautiful. But we never expect covenant members to stay with us for the rest of their lives. Right. I mean, it's great if you want to, but it's great if that's what call it. God's calling you to. But our objective is to train people up and send people out. We want to raise up leaders and send them out as pastors, missionaries, ministers, whatever the Lord wants to call you to do. Maybe take your vocation and occupation and go with it somewhere else in the world. Use that, leverage that job for gospel ministry. We want to be a sending church. So what is a sending church? Well, it's a church that joins God on his mission for his glory By sending his people to share his gospel. I'm going to say that one more time. Ascending church is a church that joins God on his mission for his glory. By sending his people to share his gospel. I want to tell you a few things that ascending church does from this text. Ascending church loves all peoples. Ascending church loves all peoples. The church began in Jerusalem, but after explosive growth on the heels of Jesus' death and resurrection, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, there was a great persecution. The followers of Christ were scattered, but as they went, they, they went preaching the gospel. The message of salvation in Jesus was preached to Jews first. That's just the the way it went. They preached to the Jew first. Because Jesus was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. But we've discovered as we've read through the book of Acts that God's kingdom is not a Jewish um, religion. It's a worldwide truth. And anyone is welcomed in. Even Samaritans, Acts chapter 8, Philip goes and takes the gospel to the Samaritans. Even eunuchs 
Ethiopian eunuchs. Also Acts chapter 8. Philip runs up beside a chariot. Finds a man reading Isaiah the prophet. Shares the gospel of Jesus with him. Baptizes him and then vanishes. Even Roman centurions. Acts chapter 10. Peter receives the vision of a sheep coming down with all kinds of weird animals. That's God's way of telling him, I want you to take this gospel to the people who are not like you. Specifically, a Roman guard, a centurion. He goes to the home of Cornelius and shares the gospel. And all those people there believe and receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10. And then Acts 11, we see that the gospel goes to far off Gentiles. And the church in Antioch is born. The church in Antioch, Syria has been growing under the leadership of Barnabas and Saul. I want you to think about this narrative for a minute. These two men have invested at least a year of their lives in teaching and discipling up some other men as elders. And we're introduced to these leaders, these prophets and teaching leaders in the beginning of Acts 13. And what we see is that leadership in Gentile Antioch is beautifully diverse. It's very different from leadership in Jerusalem. I want you to look for a moment at these leaders. Look back in your Bibles at Acts 13. Um, We have the leaders listed here. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas. What do we know about Barnabas? We met him in Acts chapter four. Here's what we know about him. He's from Cyprus. It's the little island that's in the middle of the Mediterranean. He's from Cyprus. He came to Antioch by way of the Jerusalem church. He's a follower of Jesus. We know a little bit more about Barnabas, but moving on, we have Simeon called Niger. Simeon's a black man. He's a Gentile from Africa who has come to know and believe in Christ. And he's an elder. He's one of the pastor teachers of the Antioch church. Next is a, a man named Lucius. Lucius is of Cyrene. Cyrene, also Africa. He's a Gentile from North Africa. He's heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's come into faith. He's now somehow from North Africa. He's landed in Syria, in uh, Antioch. And he's come into fellowship with this church. He's been trained up, discipled up by Barnabas and Saul. And now he is one of their leaders. Next, we have a, a guy named Manaen. The Bible tells us he's the childhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's the guy who killed John the Baptist. So this man, Manaen, grew up in a whole different worldview. You could imagine potentially how he might have come up with all the influences and opportunities that he could have pursued. Much like like Moses in the home of Pharaoh, if you will. He grew up, raised up as an Egyptian. But Hebrews 11 tells us that he he left all that to embrace the suffering of his people. All that he could have had, the life he could have had with Herod the Tetrarch, he has left all that and embraced the suffering of Christianity. That's this guy, Manaen. And then next we have Saul. 
the radically converted, persecuting Pharisee turned preacher. Now I want you to think, this is the list of their leaders, right? You've got two African guys, a, a couple of Jews. One is from um, Cyprus. He's an islander. He's kind of got a, a, a bit of a culture. He's, he's very cultured. And they come together in this melting pot. Here's what we see is this is a radically diverse group of leaders. Now you say, what's, what's the point of that? Well, here's... These guys are radically, they're racially diverse, they're socially diverse, they're financially diverse, they're educationally diverse. Almost every way you can imagine, these guys are different and that is the beauty. They had determined to love one another and embrace their differences. Now you say, okay, where are you going? What's the point? We should take note. That loving diversity in here will stir up a diversity of love out there. Here's what I mean. If we cannot love different people in here, why would we ever go to different people and try to love them out there? This church is embracing a beautiful diversity. They've come to love people who are not like them. They've come to bear one another's burdens. I imagine, I imagine Barnabas is sharing. He's saying, guys, I have so many friends in Cyprus that just have never heard about Jesus. And his group of elders is like, well, we need to pray that they would come to know Jesus. And why, did, why would this group of, of men even care about Cyprian people? from Cyprus. Why would they even care? Because Barnabas is one. They love his people because they love him. A loving diversity within the church fosters and fuels a diversity of love from the church. Ascending church loves all peoples. Ascending church listens to God's spirit. The Antioch church gathers for worship, for prayer, and fasting. Now, in this time of communion with God, they receive a word from the Holy Spirit. Here's the word. The Lord has decided it's time to send out missionaries. I want us to hear this, church. Passion for mission grows in the soil of worship and fasting, and prayer. Passion for God's glory among the nations will grow as we worship, as we fast, and as we pray. I just want to say a few things about worship, fasting, and prayer. Worship declares that God is first. That's what it is. When we stand and we sing things about Christ, like, oh, Christ Christ be magnified. We sing like that. What we're saying is Christ is first. He's above all else. It's putting things in right perspective. We look to our God and we worship him. And worship is the fuel of mission. The reason that missions exist is because worship doesn't. There are places in the world where the people are worshiping Their ancestors are dancing around a fire and chanting all kinds of strange things. 
And missions exist because God deserves their worship. We go to them because our God is worthy of the worship of all peoples. Worship fuels mission. So worship declares God is first. Fasting declares I am last. Fasting is a way of embracing surrender. It's a way of saying I'm going to deny myself all the things that my body needs and all the things that I think I need. I'm going to deny myself those things. To embrace what I truly, deeply need, which is namely Jesus. The Christian life, church, is a life of surrender. And fasting is a practice in surrender. We should push back from a sense of entitlement and lean in to surrender. Maybe begin thinking this way and praying this way. God, what is the best use of my life for your glory? Oh God, what is the best use of my life for your glory? And that takes me to prayer. Prayer simply says, do it, Lord. Prayer is aligning my heart with what God wants to do. Jesus said that we're to pray this way. I've always found this interesting. Matthew 9, he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the, the imagery there is that there's a field that's ripe and ready to be picked. And God is the owner of that field. And Jesus is teaching us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his field to harvest it. We're not trying to convince him to do something he doesn't already want to do. But Jesus has invited us to pray in and alongside the will of God. And in doing that, we will be brought into his kingdom movement. In prayer, we join in God's agenda. We don't convince him to join ours. Asking him to do what he already wants to do. Jesus said, pray this way. Our father, hallowed be your name. Worship your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray to join in God's work. So these are ways that we can posture ourselves to listen as the Spirit gives specific clarity to the commands of Christ. Ascending church, and this is interesting here, but ascending church loses to gain. So what we've said is that ascending church loves all peoples, listens to God's Spirit, and now we lose to gain. Now what do I mean by that? Here's what this church, Antioch, is sending out Barnabas and Saul. This is subtraction, right? We are losing people. We're sending people out. They're sending out their church planter, Barnabas. He's the one who sort of pulled everything together. I mean, there was an eruption of the Spirit of God. Stuff's going on and Barnabas sort of pulls the sheep together and becomes their planter. 
Then he realizes they need discipleship. They need to be trained and taught. He goes to get Saul, brings Saul back, and they stay, the two of them. And they together pastor this church to health. They're, they're, they're now sending out their church planter and their lead teaching pastor. This is incredible faith. They knew this was going to leave a huge void in leadership. But that's what God does. He grows people and develops people through on-the-job training, right? He's going to develop Barnabas and Saul by sending them out on a new job. And he's going to raise up leaders in their place by giving them some on-the-job training. How many of you would say that um, your time in school was really helpful, but that first year or two on the job was the real education? Anybody say that? Around the room? Y'all don't lift your hands this morning. You guys awake? Okay. On-the-job training is, uh, is where it's at. I mean, you learn a lot in school, but when you get your hands in the work, that's when you really begin to grow in who you are and, and what it is God's called you to do. Well, God was sending out their best and brightest because he knew the best way this church could grow is by losing the ones they depended on the most. It seems so counterintuitive. But truly, the church gains by losing. We invest in disciple of leaders, and by God's grace, we will send them out to other work. As we lose them, the kingdom gains. God is glorified. New leaders push upward into the gaps, and the church truly gains by losing. Third truth from this text, I want to drill home a question to you. Will you, not the person next to you, will you live sent for God's glory? Barnabas and Saul are sent as missionaries. They're sent by the church and by the spirit. They're empowered by the spirit as they go. And proclaim the word of God. Remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Well, the Holy Spirit is still empowering the witness of God's people. They proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition. The gospel is the power of God to save. So I'm asking you if you will commit today to live sent for Jesus. From our text, here's what that means. You are sent by the Holy Spirit. Verse four, it's important to notice that the church affirmed this, but remember while they fasted and prayed, they heard the Spirit of God say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And then the church sent them out, but then in verse four it says, and now being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to know. When God sends you out, the only thing that will sustain you for the work ahead is to know that God is the one who did it. God sent you and he will sustain you. Secondly, it means to speak the word of God. You're sent by the Holy Spirit speaks the word of God. This is evangelism. 
We don't use that word a whole lot anymore, but it's just the sharing of the gospel. The spoken gospel is the key component of mission. Now, listen, we, we do lots of good things. We, we do construction projects. We do medical clinics. We do food pantries. We do home, homeless shelters. We do drug rehab. We do lots of great things. And these are great things. But only the gospel can save a man's soul. So we do all of those things to give us the opportunity to speak the gospel. And to be sent by Jesus is is to know your role is to open your mouth and tell the gospel of Christ. We must open our mouths and speak the greatest news of all time. We see Paul and Barnabas. That's what they do. They go into the synagogue. They speak the gospel. They go throughout the whole island all the way to the other side of the island speaking the gospel. And when they get to the other side, we see this next element. To be sent for God's glory means you'll stand against evil. I want to spend just a minute here. Many people think the gospel is soft and all kind of lovey-dovey, right? The gospel is gooey. It's just so cuddly and soft. Well, Saul just looked an evil magician in the face called him a son of the devil and cursed him blind, right? It's real soft, wasn't it? Um, and in case you think, wow, man, he, he really got in the flesh on that one. No, the scripture actually says, and I quote, Saul filled with the Holy Spirit. Like in case we thought this harsh moment was of Saul and not of God. Luke makes it super clear that Saul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. What we should learn is that the gospel and those who are sent by God have a willingness to stand in the face of evil and speak truth. Now, I'm not recommending this as an evangelistic outline, Uh, you know, if uh, if you knock on somebody's door and you you, you start out by saying, I want to tell you. Um, you are a son of the devil. It's probably, probably not going to go super well for you, just to be honest. Uh, but if you're filled by the Holy Spirit to step into a moment and speak into someone's evil, you better do it. Our God is not soft on evil. He makes his glory known just as in judgment, just as he does in mercy. Our world is quickly moving into the mold of calling good evil and evil good. And we must be the light in the darkness to speak truth in the face of evil. Let me tell you, if you're feeling the temptation of softening the message of the gospel in the face of evil, Don't do it. Don't cower down and think that you're doing anyone any favors by accepting their evil. You're not. You're actually making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. We must stand against evil and speak truth, even if it means we lose friends. Lose them for Jesus. 
Even if it means we lose family, lose them for Jesus. Be willing to lose them now to gain them for eternity. The loving gospel of Christ strongly opposes evil. It's not an oxymoron. It is actually unloving to not tell someone of the dangers of their evil. Lastly, to be sent for the glory of God means to seek the salvation of the lost. In verse 12, we see the proconsul. He believed. He saw the power of God in judgment on Elimus. And he heard the compelling gospel message. He was saved. And we want to see people saved. Amen? So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. The power over evil and the power to rescue evil hearts. If we want to see people saved, we must send missionaries to them. And some of us must go. We all must pray. And we can give. So are you open to the Lord totally changing your course today? Are you willing to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, even if that means to go pack your bags, sell your stuff? I believe that God is raising up some in this church to give their lives to this mission. Is it you? What about some of our youth, college age students? This is the season in your life with the fewest anchors. Set sails and let the Lord's wind blow you wherever he wills. And parents, as one of you, open yourself up to give your kids away for God's mission. Don't stand in his way. I'm thankful that when I told my parents in high school what I wanted to do, they said, go pack your bags. <laughs> they were ready to get rid of me. No, they supported me. And I'm so thankful because from a graduating high school senior, all my friends went to the beach and I went on a mission trip for the summer. I went to college and every summer I was in college, I was overseas somewhere in the world. I went to seminary and I spent every uh, one semester every year somewhere overseas, somewhere on mission for Jesus. It's changed my life. And parents, I want to tell you, don't stand in God's way if he's calling your son or daughter to go. Don't stop your kids. Send them. I want to share with you a story that I hope will stir your heart. In 2005, I was with a team backpacking the Himalayan mountains. Our mission was to try to take the gospel to an unreached people that were hidden in the crevices of the mountains. There's a missionary that lived in that region and he had worked for months hiking up and through and all over locating these people groups and plotting waypoints on handheld GPS devices. 
He would plot their waypoints and he would plot for us different places where we could set up camp and find water and those kinds of things. He was strategically planning and preparing for our arrival. He was the long-term plan. We were the short-term gospel infusion plan. Our job was risky. If we were caught in this part of the world, we would be immediately sent away, uh, put on a plane and sent back to the States. We wanted him to stay. So we came and volunteered to do the risky mission. We had practiced hiking before we left. We hiked several mountains in the States and practiced our altitude, tried to get used to altitude sickness, tried to get used to carrying a pack with limited weight. I learned all kinds of things about that. We tried to prepare ourselves. We learned how to purify water and found, that we found along the trails with iodine tablets and boiling the water so that it was drinkable just to kill the parasites. We tried to prepare, but we were not prepared for the drought that we would encounter. They had had the driest rainy season in decades, and we arrived several months into a drought. We were unaware. But 36 hours at 14,000 feet elevation without water was more than some on our team could handle. We set up camp so that many of the dehydrated could stay behind. And a couple of us hiked up the next three miles, another 4,000 feet in elevation to try to find our way to a waypoint. We came over a ridge and we saw the smoke of fires and we got excited. As we came over the ridge, we saw a village. My friend Shane and I, we actually cried In those moments, tears of joy because we just stumbled our way into this village desperate for water. This woman came out of a tent clothed in the skins of some kind of animal with markings on her face. And I pulled a book out of my bag and thumbed through to find the right word. I didn't know the word, but I found the word for water. It was the word shway. And so I just said, And Shane's holding our empty bottles and both of us, this look of desperation on our faces. And she knew exactly what we needed. She smiled and motioned for us to follow her. We followed her into this little village and she took us to a big vat of nasty water. In the middle of the village, they had been holding and keeping water to supply their needs through the drought. And she smiled and said a lot of things we didn't understand, but she filled our bottles with water and Gave them back to us. We had carried bottles from our team and hiked those miles together. And we were preparing to hike our way back down. We went back to our team. Purified the water. Drank. All of us worshipped God for his great provision. I laid in my tent that night with a flashlight. And I wrote in my journal. And the Lord Broke me. Because God had opened my eyes. I wrote about the girl who gave us the water we so desperately needed. And the joy that we all shared in the giving and receiving. And then I thought about the living water that she so desperately needed. 
that I had to offer. But no one had ever told her about Jesus Christ. And I prayed that night earnestly that God would use our team to take living water into a people who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ before. Church, we are the water supply for a very thirsty world that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ. Today, if God calls you, will you go? Will you go? Mountain View Church, if God raises up missionaries within us that say, I'll go, will we send them? Will we support? Will we sacrifice and give so that they can go faithfully with the mission? Will we pray? I mean, really pray that God would do this among us, that he would raise up men and women to go for his glory. Let me finish with this. I'll just make these statements. There are four reasons to go. First, Jesus is worth it. Second, life is short. The Bible says your life is a vapor. The world would deceive you into thinking you should spend that vapor on your own pleasures. God says it's short. Give it to him. Thirdly, hell is real. Judgment is real. At last, the gospel will save. Not everyone will believe when we hear the gospel, when they hear the gospel, but some will. And we go trusting in faith that God will save some as we go. Church, let's join our God in his mission for his glory among all peoples in the world. Pray with me.